Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Muir. And how is it going tonight? Will, less hungover, less tired, we should be in for a good one. Absolutely, less hungover because we had all day yesterday to manage that. So today's been good, been a cracking day of football. So energy's there, it's going to be good. It's been a massive, massive week. Obviously championship weekend uh, Saturday or Sunday here. However, there were a whole bunch of other games that went on as well. And we will get to all of those. As we always do, we've got all the game recaps. We've got some news we want to hit. Uh, We have got bold predictions. We go on the punt as well, among a range of other bits and pieces that we will certainly cover off in a massive, massive week of action that has apparently or supposedly supposed to have clarified, cleared up, or you know, given some semblance of understanding to this playoff picture. Now, that hasn't happened. The conversation around this playoff this year has been crazier than ever. And I just want to spend a little bit of time here because parts of it freaking frustrated me. I know it's their job, but commentators, Greg McElroy, Greg McElroy, um, like pipe down when you're talking about Ohio State, like, you know, oh, they shouldn't play because they haven't played enough games. Whatever. Herb Street got involved. Fowler got involved. They were sort of more non-committal as they usually are. Uh, they don't like to poke the bear too much. But on top of that, you then had all these coaches come in and Jimbo Fisher comes in and says, oh, we're one of the best teams at Texas A&M. We need to be in there. Saban going into bat for Florida after their big SEC championship game saying, Florida, yeah, they've had three losses, but, you know, they're fantastic. Yeah, cool. Brian Kelly, he comes in and says, well, Notre Dame, you know, we're still one of the best teams. Luke Fickle, we're undefeated at Cincinnati. We deserve a shot. And I'm just, shut up. Like, we get it. Coach your football team. I know you're advocating for them, but I don't care what you have to say. And the committee doesn't have to care what you have to say. Your quick thoughts on those commentaries from those guys. There's one that I would get around, and that's Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He hasn't done anything wrong. They've won every game. I can back that in because that would piss me off. That is kind of, I've done my job and I'm not getting even a look in, which is shit ass. Everyone else, you had your fucking chance to play down the field. You fucked up. You lost. Like, that's your opportunity. You had that. You lost. That's why you're in the position that you are. And yes, I get all the posturing around outside of that to try and put yourself forward so that you're the team. But you had an opportunity. Don't want to fucking hear it. It's out of your hands now. You could have played it out on the field. Okay, I do want to have a quick chat about who you think now the top four is after just ragging on these dudes for having opinions. We're now going to have one. Uh, (laughs) But I think we can agree that Alabama with their win stays at number one and Clemson will jump jump Notre Dame and go to number two in the country. Is that fair? We're pretty comfortable with locking those two in at one and two. Alabama one, Clemson two. Absolutely. Okay, so now the conversation really shifts. And it's what do you do next? Now, Notre Dame, we know, just got handled by Clemson. So do they drop to number three? Now, this is where I don't understand what the thinking behind the college football playoff committee and what their job is. And and I'm asking you this, what is their job? Is it to pick the four best teams or is it to try and create the four best money-making matchups? Because I'll go into that in a sec, but your take on, on what you think they should be looking for when making this decision? Well, it's got to be the four best teams. And that's where it, it, it should be a lot easier than this. And, you know, I, I've been big on the eight-team 
push for quite some time. I want to see all the conference champions be rewarded with a spot and then kind of debate it out from there. But then if you look at this year, that would be a, a perfect platform to see how that plays out with who you would end up. Like if we look at what we would have as an eight team, you'd have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Oregon. Ooh. Uh, uh, sick. As, as your five. And then you'd be looking... It has to be Notre Dame. Notre Dame, A&M, Cincinnati. Florida? They lost to A&M. I'm, I'm giving them the... Uh, well, well and, and this is where, like, if we come back to... And, and there's still going to be controversy around who now fits at eight and nine rather than who fits at four and five. But my big argument here, and this is where I... Do, like, if you're picking the four best teams, to me, it goes Alabama one, Clemson two, probably Notre Dame three, then maybe Ohio State at four, which I'm okay with. But what you're then doing after Notre Dame got blown out here by Clemson, if you put them at two and three, they're going to then go and play each other again. But it's Ohio State at three. Why is it not Ohio State at three? Because okay, they've well, only played the five games. Like, well, I don't understand like, why the Big Ten's all of a sudden, like, yes, Michigan and Penn State were down this year, but there's still a competitive conference who have some fucking good teams. Like, Northwestern is a very good team this year. And yes, they didn't beat the shit out of them like everyone expected them to, but it's because Northwestern's good. And, like, they still won that by two scores. So, Ohio State, for mine, is an easy number three. Okay, and I think that's what they logically have to do for the matchup perspective because the uh, and the argument I'll come back to some of the coaching arguments and you know what they're saying is that Ohio State shouldn't be in there. They should be out completely. They haven't played enough games. So if that's the case, you're then going to say, well, you know, we've talked about the top 2. You're putting Clemson then therefore has to be at 3 and A&M has to be at 4. Now the big problem with that is Clemson would play Notre Dame in the first round of the playoffs. They've just played and they got stomped. You, we don't need to see that game for a third time. The other game would be Alabama, Texas A&M, and A&M got fisted in that one. So what are we doing here in terms of, are we just trying to chuck in numbers? And we're going to see rehashes of old games. This has been the murkiest, most unclear uh, example throughout this year. But So you're going to take a five-win um, Ohio State. Six. That have six win they haven't really played any you know they've got the northwestern win so they go to three you're saying they'll play clemson week one about indiana uh, indiana's a good team as well um and but then, like why not why, why yeah. are they not a good team like i yeah, I, I just I mean, think the sec gets all this fucking juice for all these sweet yeah, teams oh, that they've hey, got mate, this no year. one's no one's a bigger advocate for, for, for that than me but what you have here and i know they say this is a year by year thing but it's not because Alabama's got street cred, Clemson's got street cred. They know they can handle it in the college football playoff. So when they get there, even if they've had a little down period, a down patch, they're still going to make it. And they know they've got that street cred. And that's where it's did, really hard for a team like Cincinnati. It took State UCF Clemson? two whole years. Did you watch that Ohio State Clemson game last year, the semifinal? Yeah, it was tight. It was fucking cracker. Yeah. This is a I, good I Ohio agree. State team. I, I, like, I think it's an easy, I think it is an easy four that you go with. Okay. Bama at one, Clemson at two, Ohio State three, Notre Dame four. The argument you might have Notre Dame A&M maybe, like both good teams, both with one quality loss. Like but A&M didn't even win their division. They didn't? They didn't even win their division. Yeah, and what did Notre Dame win? 
They they made Nothing. it to their they made it to their ACC yeah, they championship made it and game. they got fucking fisted. They got embarrassed. Yeah, but but so what, you're gonna put so, a, so so what you're gonna put A and M at four? But should and I then give get, them more points for getting in there and getting fucking reamed than not playing at all? Like it's yes, there, there's no, yes, absolutely not, absolutely not. It, so if, what? So not playing. So playing Tennessee on the last weekend and just beating up on a shit team is I'm the way saying, to go. Because what teams neither, are going to do then? But I'm saying neither is should add to it. I'm saying look past that. Look at everything else that they've done. What's more impressive across the year? Don't factor in this last weekend. Take it off but, the table. But recency neither bias should get points is relevant though. Recency bias plays into this. It has to. Because you're picking not only who's the best team throughout the year, but you're picking who's had the best month, who's had the best fortnight. Who's going to put up the best con- contest in their next outing. Who's going to make them the most money, probably, comes into it. Anyway, we can, and again, we can see that we're debating this until the cows come home. I actually like your four. I think it gives a good matchup in the semifinals. I think it's fair and equitable, and I don't think you get those repeats. And I know it shouldn't be about... You know, the matchups, it should be the four best teams, but I don't believe the college football playoff committee does that. So, this is going to be probably the most hotly contested and highly debated um, top four, I think, since its existence. So what do you think, I know there what do you some... think we end up with from the committee? What do you think? I they think, land with? well, Alabama and Clemson definitely in. I don't exactly know the makeup of it, but there'll probably be some political persuasions here involved. But I think Notre Dame probably get in and they're a big market. And I think money does come into it. Uh, And then you you can't leave a high state out, especially Big Ten. They are a big money spinner as well. So I think there's your four. So that, that would be the direction that I would go. Do I think that's completely unfair? Yeah, I'd rather see Cincinnati, in all honesty, get a crack. Um, at something, I don't know what that looks like. Having said that, they they weren't overly convincing against Tulsa. So this is a know. good Tulsa team, though. That <laughs> ran it tight. <laughs> one loss the year before that. One loss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some news because we can do this, and these debates will continue. But let's hope some sort of semblance of uh, logic comes to the fore here. Common sense, maybe, and. We don't see it flushed with, well, if we're looking at, some teams think that they should be uh, three SEC teams in it. So go figure. Anyway, let's get to some news. Unfortunately, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana got cancelled. So no Sunbelt Championship game this year. I don't know what they're doing in terms of awarding that. Is that just like a coin flip now? How are they dealing with that? Just uh, DNP. No trophy awarded. Brett Bielema has been signed as the new man at the Illinois Fighting Illini. I do not love this pick. Um, We're not going to dwell too long on a bottoming Big Ten team, but you've gone retread with Lovey Smith. You've gone retread with Brett Bielema, who had success at Wisconsin, but then struggled mightily at Arkansas. And now he's going back to a geographical region of the country where he's probably fractionally more comfortable. But what are you getting out of this? Like, go in a different direction. Take a young guy. Take a triple option guy. Do something different because, you know, going down this road, I don't think you're going to end up the same spot you were with Lovey Smith. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't like the hire. I can see the success that he had in the Big Ten and why they might want to do that and try and build some sort of run powerhouse there. I just don't like it. Uh, the Rose Bowl has been moved from California to Texas. Australian supporters and followers of college football probably don't care too much about that um but that one's moved to 
Jerry World, effectively, isn't it? AT&T yes. Stadium or whatever. Um, now, that's due to spectators because Texas allows them under current COVID rules. California does not. So they have moved it to Texas to allow a better spectacle to make some more money. Um, you... USC opt-out and Penn State opt-out, among other teams. That list is growing daily. Um, USC did it about 30 seconds after their loss to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I so thought... I think... Well, I was going to say, I thought it was interesting with the whole stadium and fans being able to come. Uh, Brian Kelly talked about not like boycotting potentially the playoffs if the players families weren't able to come to the games they were talking yeah. about boycotting so then they took that shit seriously and put that out on the field this weekend i didn't yeah, realize so, they were boycotting this early yeah and i mean notre dame see big market big money spinner they know who butters their scone so they'll just do whatever they're told by them all right we have got a lot of games to get to so let's get into uh, some game recaps. We will start with the you know, Power 5 teams, the conference games, and then we will get to the group of five, which ended up being four as previously stated. So let us start as we go and open with the Big Ten with Ohio State and Northwestern. At the three, here's the pitch, Sermon to the corner, touchdown Buckeye. Yeah, that was a Trey Sermon touchdown, which effectively iced the game, put them up 22 to 10, which they would hold on to that lead for the remainder of the game. I think this one went as close to plan for Northwestern as it could possibly be. Chris Alave was out for the Buckeyes. Um, they were a really good running defense. You wouldn't know it. We'll get to Trey Sermon a little bit later, but... Justin Fields had a touchdown callback on a holding penalty on the first drive of the game. They had to settle for a, for a field goal. And then Northwestern's touchdown drive was really, really impressive. I thought Peyton Ramsey did a really good job of, of running that offense. They were in and out of some wildcat stuff. Um, they went up, they changed the tempos up and down really effectively. And Cam Porter punched it in. On top of that, we know they play good defense. Ohio State's offense looks sluggish through that first half. And they were forcing Justin Fields to force the ball. They were expecting them to drive the ball down the field. They mixed in their tight man and then their effective zone concepts on the back end and changed those up. Got Justin Fields looking a little bit uncomfortable. And then when the Buckeyes got in the red zone, they held them to either field goals or miss field goals um, or turnovers even. And, and I thought Justin Fields looked like he was really pressing, really stretching to try and and get the big play and and Northwestern's so good at taking that away and making you you know really ease the ball work the ball or as who's the old Chiefs um, head coach matriculate the ball down the field which isn't an easy thing to do against a really really good team so I was impressed with what Northwestern did up until the half they kept fields to nine of twenty throwing the ball um, and on the other side Peyton Ramsey was twelve of fourteen. They were rolling, and I was really, really, really impressed up until that point. Uh, yeah, it was massive first half for Northwestern. Played out exactly how they would have wanted it to. As you mentioned, Justin Fields was just struggling. He, he was really getting pushed outside of where he wanted to be and was not having the impact that he's had across his career. This is probably the worst game he's had statistically in his career at Ohio State. That's not what you want in a Big Ten championship game. So Northwestern were thrilled with that, but they were selling out to prevent him. And who did that open it up for? Trey Sermon. 
Wowee. If there's a day to come in and have the most rushing yards ever for a program like Ohio State, it's not bad to bail out your uh, quarterback there and do it in the Big Ten Championship. He was incredible. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't give him the ball earlier. And even as much as I don't like Gus Johnson, the commentator, he was like, just give him the ball. Hand the ball off to him. But it was like they were trying to force the pass play. Even run it with Justin Fields. He's big, he's athletic, he's tough to bring down. He'll make dudes miss. He can run people over, which he did. Um, Like, run the ball. And eventually, in the second half, they did that. And that's kind of what started opening this game up. Trey Sermon just was gashing them for big play after big play after big play. And all of a sudden, you know, Northwestern, they couldn't stop the run at all. And this was the sixth best rushing defense in the country. And they got run all over. Um, And then from there, Northwestern got behind and they then had to force it. Peyton Ramsey turns the ball over twice. They went, and then Ohio State went run game, defense, and there was the winning formula. Except if they'd done it in the first half, they'd probably win this game by 400 points rather than making it look as hard as it did. I think Ohio State has always predominantly been, and I know that's more of an Urban Meyer thing than a Ryan Day, it's, it's run to set up the pass. And they tried, and they eventually did the reverse of that today, but you have to think, give the big boys a chance to run the ball. Yeah, and a full credit to the Ohio State offensive line. The holes that they were opening up for Trey Sermon mm-hmm. were super impressive against a defense. As you mentioned, number six in the nation. This Northwestern defense is one of the better units in all of the country so for them to be able to exert their will in that way and for him to be getting to the line untouched making one move and then just breaking it for 15 yards before Mm -hmm. anyone was kind of touching him and then like some of the moves that he put on hurdling that dude his his body control and being able to power through that initial contact was Really, really impressive. Like, he has not had a massive year, Trey Sermon. So he's a former Oklahoma guy who, who came yeah. across as a transfer. Hasn't put up big numbers. Hasn't put up these gaudy numbers that you kind of can see from an Ohio State running back. But in this game here, he's just earned himself a paycheck on Sundays big time. Well, and he looked like an NFL back. Like he he's, did. He's a bit bigger, like master, especially compared to Master, master Teague, the other running back in that Ohio State backfield who's a bit shorter, a bit chunkier, more kind of between-the-tackles type runner. Doesn't have the wiggle, but Trey Sermon looks comfortable in the open field, can house a long, a long run, and and looks like a player. So it'd be interesting to see. I'm never great at picking whether I know I've said this about quarterbacks before. Running backs are another one that I'm not awesome at picking. I didn't think Zeke Elliott would be that great in the NFL, um, but he's I've really dropped the ball there. I don't know. I could see that you know they have a look at a strong look at pass pro. Um, how good they are at you know running behind their pads? Can they make one or two yards? And just it'll depend on how well he tests at the next level. Yeah. Um, but well done to Ohio State; they win the Big Ten championship again. Speaking of winning again, let's head to the Big Twelve. They just do snap it. Didn't look like anybody moved. Purdy, can he rescue this? Purdy lofts it up. Jump. And another critical mistake by Purdy. Yeah, Brock Purdy, what are you doing? That was a mess there at the end um, before we kind of, you know, get too much into that. But Brock Purdy had three interceptions on the day. No team had beaten Oklahoma twice in the same season since like 1904. 
Which is unbelievable. That is well, an unbelievable stat. Is, is it though? Like, how many times are you playing teams twice in a season? Yeah, well, like I, yeah, especially in the mix. Yeah, right. <laughs> ouch, zing. I mean, well, anyway, um, Akeem Young was thrown out of the game early for a targeting penalty in the opening minute. Field goal kickers struggled in this one, but Oklahoma eventually come over the top and then hold on. 27 to 21 against Iowa State. I was really impressed by Oklahoma. I thought they were going to trash this team early on. Uh, the defense was really, really good. This is not the defense of the last five years of Oklahoma. They were disciplined. They're fast and disruptive. Ronnie Perkins leads the charge. Nick Benito is a menace coming off the other edge. Um, but then there was a huge sequence. Five minutes left in the first half. And you got the feeling like the clones were working their way back into the game. Matt Campbell's going absolutely mental on the sidelines. Brock Purdy converts a fourth and two, but then goes and throws a pick in the end zone. And I thought, they need to make the most of their chances. They didn't. And then we saw a couple of bad decisions, including that last one to seal the game. Rolling right and just throwing a ball up with a minute to go. You've got downs. Like a minute in college football is forever. They were about they were inside Oklahoma's half. I don't know what he was thinking there. There was nothing on. Just eat that and move on. Um, yeah. I mean, anyway, hindsight 2020. Yeah, that, that's that, that's not that, a good play. That's that never whole a good play, play. That whole play was gross. Was you could tell from the start. Exactly right. They they were struggling to get in position. They were still running dudes on when they had a few seconds left. They had one timeout left, but they obviously didn't want to burn it because they shouldn't burn it at that point. So you're right, but that would have put him in fourth down. Like there, he had a dude in the area who just completely mistimed his jump. Oh, who, that was rough. Who should at least well. be fucking batting that ball down for? Yeah. Like it, it, I'm not putting it all on him. It's not a great play, but that was just one of many. As you mentioned, it's Oklahoma's defense that really stood out in this one. So Oklahoma mm. scored three points in the second half of this matchup. Yeah, and they won. Ooh. Like that's unheard of in a big 12 championship game and even crazier when we talk and move into the sec championship game just like the the yeah. flip-flop uh, notion of this upside down world that we live in at the moment to, to see this but full credit to oklahoma and their defense they, they were incredible today uh they both you and i said in the lead up to this game the big matchup is going to be Brees hall running the ball for iowa state and the Oklahoma defense and whether they're able to contain that because they had been very stringent against the run across the back half of the year in particular, keeping dudes for under uh, 80 yards. And sure enough, they managed to do that. It was his lowest total on the season. So they executed the plan and and that often ends well. Like it's still a, it's not a successful year for Iowa State, but they've got to be, kind of somewhat chuffed with this like to, to be in and around it to make it here to be as close as they were like obviously gutted by losing it but for them yeah. to be in this conversation is awesome it's just that when you get these shots you want to take them because they don't come well, at, around at, like they do for Oklahoma at least put out your best effort and throwing three picks all were not good either Brees Hall getting you know getting beaten up front and the fact that they made adjustments and really controlled Oklahoma's offense in the second half, they've got to feel like this one not necessarily got away, but they were they were in control for large stretches down the back end as Oklahoma were, were holding on. And it felt like it, at the start of the second half that Oklahoma were just going to take them out the back, load their 12-gauge and just blow them away and, and you know bury them right there. But they just didn't. And 
and Iowa State really hung around. Brees Hall's so good in the open field, he just couldn't get to the open part of the field. Like he was getting contacted at the line of scrimmage time and time and time again. So um, a, a really good win for Oklahoma, a different style of win for them. Uh, and I don't think you really want to catch them. I know they haven't been great in... Uh, bowl games but that's mostly been centered around the playoffs but you don't want to catch them i don't reckon i don't know where they're going to land bowl game wise i don't know what a big 12 tie-in game is normally the fiesta bowl Bowl. yeah fiesta bowl so like you don't want to get them in the fiesta bowl i don't think that's going to be a a pretty good game who do they play an sec team no it's uh it's like an at-large bid normally so So it could be an sec team i mean yeah could be the chanticleers Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so well done to Oklahoma um, and yeah we'll, we'll see what, what we make of this Iowa State team is they're going to have to reload now because Brock Purdy will move on you would think and this team's going to look uh, a little bit different next year alright let's continue to the Pac-12 and we've got Oregon and USC third down and goal round to throw again lofting back in the end zone touchdown Travis Dye had broken loose Raymond Scott lost him in coverage and Dye found the end zone quack 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 Anthony Gordon Bombay just threw two touchdowns for the Ducks uh he is the transfer from Boston College, but Oregon are back-to-back Pac-12 champions after losing two games, but they win 31-24. to And we just did hear that Anthony Gordon to Travis Dyer that put Oregon up 28-14, to and that turned out to be an insurmountable lead for USC. Keaton Slovis threw two picks in the first quarter, and they were bad as well, throwing into like triple co- coverage. Um, and that put the Ducks in scoring position. They converted both of those and led 14-0. And that was pretty much game over at that point. USC fought back into it, 31-24 down. They had the ball at halfway before Slovis threw his third pick, which was not a good one either. A pretty good play on the sidelines um, by the Oregon defender, Hill. And, and that was it. USC were playing with fire all season. This time they got burnt. They couldn't work their way back into it. There was a mix of quarterbacks for the Ducks, as we've mentioned, but it was the turnovers because USC outgained Oregon. Three turnovers, two of which led to touchdowns. Uh, that was the difference in this one as Oregon completed just 11 passes on the day, but four of those were for touchdowns. So that's pretty good going. Yeah, so it looks like Oregon's win here takes them to the Fiesta Bowl to play uh, Oklahoma. Ooh, Which could be a bit of fun if if they accept. Did you say uh, Oregon? No, Oregon haven't made a call yet. I okay. assume. I mean, they that's will a go. yeah, that's a good enough game to go. Obviously, so yeah, I mean, the, the the West Coast teams, as in the Pac-12, Mountain West, tend to be more, I suppose, conservative or more likely to opt out, just based on their whole premise of what they've done this year. Hmm. Um, but Oregon in, will intend to play that one, I would assume. So, so credit to you. You kind of predicted the upset in mm-hmm. this one. It, it almost played out exactly as you had said in that USC have been doing this all year and eventually you're going to get fucked. Like it's, <laughs> and, and, and they did. They, they really blew it. And early on, they were 
doing their best to make sure that they were in a hole because that's kind of their <laughs> AMI. Like with a couple of interceptions that you talked about, they turned the ball over on downs, they missed a field goal all in the first half of this game. Like they were really trying as hard as they could to make sure that they were behind. Even with all of that, they were still only down 21-14. So they were like, oh, fuck, we need to kind of keep going with this and, and keep fucking around and make sure we're, we're well back. And watching the game too, this team just lives for fourth down. Like oh, that's yeah. that Converted was a fourth and eight or something to that, score a touchdown. That's when they come to play. It's insane that it would just continually get to that point, and then they would make an amazing play on fourth down and get to it. And I was kind of chatting to you during this game, saying like, "These guys are awesome because <laughs> it is just like a heart attack. You are like, are they gonna, are they going to do it? Are they going to fuck out? No, they're good for it. They're good for it. And then I just expected that they were going to go down and tie uh, at the end there. That uh, Jamal Hill pick that you mentioned was incredible he it originally wasn't called a catch I don't think because no. of like how he caught it got his toe down but was kind of moving out of bounds and was quickly out of bounds they went back and sure enough it was like split second as he controlled it it was in and and that pick really killed them there so USA, uh, like this, this is going to happen for you. If you, yeah, live by the sword, you're eventually going to die by it, and it's just unfortunate that it's it's come here. I don't think in the end it really means a lot for them. Yeah, they might have been the team going to the Fiesta Bowl to take on Oklahoma, but uh, look, not to be. Uh, the the Pac-12 has kind of been a real hot mess this year with just how late it started the amount of games that have been cancelled the the makeup this so this was probably a good finish to it to, to have like a stand-in <laughs> team knock it over it, it just yeah. feels a bit apt but uh it's probably not one that we'll be going back through the archives for uh any time to say this the 2020 pac 12 season was one that uh, will go down in history, but I, I guess it is just not for the right reasons. Does Clay Helton, you know, does he keep his job? Like, Absolutely, he... he's doing well enough to keep his job. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just thought that maybe all the goodwill that he had built up over the season from all these comebacks, that disappears pretty quickly when you play a team that was, what, 3-2 and two coming in. It's the Pac-12 championship game. You've got to get it done. Having, having said that, USC, like you mentioned, played to character. So <laughs> fans Correct. can't be shocked that this is the way it went. Yeah. They've but, been doing it all year. And also, like, Oregon's a good team. I think people recognize that. It, 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 like, yes, they are a 3-2 and two team. Yes, they had bad losses to Oregon State and Cal. But, like, on their day, Oregon are up there. Both you and I recognize that when they have a full squad, they obviously had a, a bunch more dudes available in this one. They we're still missing some serious contributors. But Thabon... Uh, Thibodeau. Thibodeau, the DN there, who was uh, the player of the match or the Pac-12 yeah. MVP, was sensational. And like he, he was a number one recruit coming in, and he was wrecking shit on that D-line. So like when you've got guys like that who are able to have an impact like that, then they can single-handedly change a game. Yeah, that defense is going to be pretty good again next year, I think. like that, Particularly in, the, in that front seven, they should be pretty solid. All right, so well done, Oregon. Back-to-back Pac-12 champions. All right, let's head to uh, the best conference in all of the lands, the ACC Clemson taking on Notre Dame. Here's Lawrence with a keeper in the clear. Lawrence headed for the end zone. Touchdown, Tigers. Got one hand on the trophy now. Yeah, that... Uh, touchdown by Trevor Lawrence put them up what 31 to 3 uh, and 
a, a really, really solid game that ended up 34 to 10. I said that this game would play out uh, kind of like it did, which is what I was expecting in the first game. Uh, but what we had was another slow start by the Clemson offense. The Irish were up 3-0. They were driving it. And I thought that they were going to repeat. It sort of went to the same story as how the, as the previous contest back in October um, played out as well. And their defense was really, really suffocating. But then lo- Trevor Lawrence hits Amari Rogers on a 67-yard touchdown strike. And then the game from there just sort of opened up. Uh, how did how did Clemson control this one, especially on the defensive side? They were relentless, but how did they stay on top of Kyron Williams and Ian Book? Oh, look, it was more that back end that I was more impressed with. So you know that the Brent Venables and Clemson defense are going to be showing mixed looks. They're going to be throwing things around, and they knew that Notre Dame was going to be uh, looking to establish the run, and I think they kind of schemed up a... Uh, a defense that was looking to take that away and relying a lot on a lot of one-on-one matchups on on the back end there. And I think Notre Dame initially were, were trying to work off of that, but when they made the call to say, look, actually, we need to pass the ball and we need to kind of counter what they're showing us because there is man look matchups, we should be able to get some stuff going. They just couldn't. Even in those one-on-one matchups, they weren't able to get it. So whenever Ian Book did have a bit of time, he just had nowhere to fucking release the ball. He was running around, and you could see that there was nothing downfield for him, and eventually that timer runs out against a team like Clemson, and he was continually being harassed. And, you know, there was enough time for him to get rid of the ball. It wasn't that this was a dominant pass rush that just kept caving in on him and he had no chance. He had enough time. He was making time in the pocket and moving it about. He just had nowhere to throw the ball, and eventually it all kind of closed in and and they were able to put that pressure there. So for my, like, it was a combination of... A great defensive plan from Venables of, of how they schemed up front and then excellent back-end coverage that managed to completely stifle Notre Dame in this one. Yeah, and I think they, they did bring some blitz looks as well. And, and that quick passing game, I don't know. I know it's it's never easy, but you just wanted to see some quick passing game by Notre Dame because, like you said, Inbook was holding it. And he's like, he could he, you could see him. He was starting to get that timer. He's like, i got to go here. And like you said, they just locked everything down. And they couldn't hit the big play. We said they needed to hit that deep shot, whether it was to you know any one of their wide receivers that could make a play down the field. They couldn't do that. And then on top of that, you had Kyron Williams, the running back. He had 50 yards on 15 carries. So they completely shut him out of the game as well. Uh, I was totally impressed. It looked like a full team defense. They don't have like a crazy edge rusher or a, a freak um, safety. Or you know, Their cornerbacks are pretty solid. Um, Booth's a really good one as a, as a freshman. But they don't have that real freak player that just chase young's a team or you know bosa or any insert well apparently insert ohio state defensive end here but um you know just that guy that can just wreck a game plan straight up they don't have that guy necessarily but their defense is so well coached they fit so well skowski coming back into the game he just sees the game so well um you know whether he's spying the quarterback whether he's pointing out, you know, draws or screens or whatever. And he just, they completely destroyed any kind of play they got um, that looked like it was setting up at all. So that was really impressive. On the other side of that, you've got an offense that, and I said this, like having watched Clemson a fair bit over the years, 
They stress you so much with movement and run fakes. Um, and then they've got a lot of over routes or you know, H-backs leaking or running backs. And then you've got Trevor Lawrence on the move. And what that means is if, you've, if a linebacker takes one misstep, if they step inside and they actually need to step outside, it's, it almost has like a triple option feel to it. Because if you step the wrong way, you've got ETN, you've got Rogers, or you've got Trevor Lawrence on an, either an easy pass, like a five-meter dink, or on the edge on uh, running the ball, and they're just getting to the edge and turning the corner, and you've got to somehow tackle them in the open field, and it's it's a really really tough offense to defend. Uh, you need to be able to get pressure with your front four. That is the only way, and it didn't happen consistently because you're going up against a fantastic offensive line. So I was super impressed by Clemson, and and any doubts there were around them being a genuine contender surely have been put to bed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they are. It was a fantastic offense to watch. It was incredibly well called on the offensive side as well. And Trevor Lawrence is like a master at the top of his game. Some yeah. some of the touches that he put on balls were where only his player could catch it. It was in stride, and it, it's more than that it's more than just the throw it's everything about setting the play up it's where his body goes it's where he moves it's where what he does with his eyes and his head and just everything to open things up to work defenders to make them move where he wants them to move and and then kind of move things off of that like the combination of that plus the the run game you were talking about the, the combination of etn and himself being able to carry the ball and making the right decisions as to when to hold it himself and and get that long frame of his going uh it was a, a true marvel to watch. So this this one was a masterclass on, on the entire coaching side and, and well executed. Uh, Clemson for more. Like I think there was Alabama right up the top, right? Like we had them as a clear number one, and then we weren't sure where it was. You see this, and you go, "Well, we're in for another Bama Clemson." <laughs> yeah. that, that's it's kind of what you want now. Previously, yeah. you've been like, "Oh, we're sick of seeing this. We want to see something else." Now, after seeing these two teams go and be as impressive as they are, you're like, "Let's give me some more of that." Yeah, uh, Travis Etienne only carried the ball ten times, but he turned that into 124 yards and a touch. So he had a big day either way, and he's really hard to tackle also. So overall, a really, really clinical uh, a really clinical game by Clemson. They look like they have fun. They look like they play hard. And even keeping in Trevor Lawrence, and I know Kirk Herbstreet and, and Fowler made mention of this in the call. They said, you know, he stays in the game, Trevor Lawrence. There's five minutes to go. They're up 34 to 10 or 34 to say, uh, 3 or something. And he stays in the game and he's running, you know, he's running that read option game and he's taking tackles and that's the expectation. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a, you know, a, a really fantastic game by Clemson. I've got no doubt this year that they're going to be really tough to beat. All right, let's head to the SEC for the latest game on Saturday. Trask set to throw and he is not going to get it and he fumbled it as well. And Alabama's got it at the 10. Tim Smith after the hit by Will Anderson. Yeah, the Smith and Anderson combine for a sack fumble on Kyle Trask, which led to an Alabama Najee Harris touchdown, one of the gazillion that he scored on the day. And that gave them a little bit of breathing room against Florida. An offensive explosion in this one. There were yards, there were points. All the big names were involved. Trayvon Grimes, 
Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Uh, certainly not the scoreline I expected, but Florida fought their way back into it. And, you know, you're going to have to take us through what happened here, Will, because you were so dialed into this. But after looking at this, are there questions around Alabama's ability to defend a high-powered offense? Both Ole Miss and now Florida have put up yards and points on them. There's talk about this team being one of Saban's best, but against Clemson, you can't have a defensive performance like this. Do you think Clemson's offense is better than Florida's? Uh, maybe not, but their defense is heaps better. Oh, so absolutely, like, it is. But so, like, you, if you're conceding forty-six, uh, okay. So let you know they conceded forty-six to Florida. If you concede 40 to Clemson, you're not... I don't think you're scoring 40 mm, against Clemson. I wouldn't... Uh, if there's a team that I wouldn't doubt to put up that 40 <laughs> yeah, against well, Clemson, it is this Alabama. And like, I'm is just, it something to be concerned about? It, it's certainly a little concerning. Absolutely. Like, the, the fact that this game went for, what, 100 points uh, almost. In, in it, and it's been the MO of the SEC. We, we've seen these... And, it, and it's not just like, a, oh, we're playing up-tempo all of a sudden and that's why it is. There, there are some fundamentals where they're breaking down and missing tackles. And I'm like, this this ain't the SEC that I remember. Like, don't, mm. like the play calling has changed and it is a new game that they are playing in the SEC. But there are still some fundamentals in this game that I noticed that I was like you don't miss that tackle. Like, you're, you're an Alabama linebacker. You don't miss that. that. That's just not what you expect to see. You, you expect better contain on certain players. You expect better coverage in, in certain stuff and, and not the miscommunication we saw. So, like, th- there's absolutely a small amount of concern, but it, it's when you're backed up by an offense that has Najee Harris, Mac Jones, and Devonta Smith, all three probably getting an invite to the Heisman ceremony. Like, it's nuts. They, they were so good. What, what we saw in this, Mac Jones has... Well, sorry, Kyle Trask has thrown the second most yards in the SEC Championship game history ever. Mac Jones threw the first in this one. So he went 408 and 418 for Mac... Like, it was just... Uh, clinical display from both of them, both showing really good touch. But defensively, there are some holes, there are some gaps. There's not the control that needs to be. There's not the pressure on the outside that you kind of expect from both of these teams. Historically, they've both had like pass rushes coming out their uh, rear end and they've put in a litany of first-round draft picks from the position. They haven't been getting that damage. They haven't been putting that pressure on. So, I mean, Florida were awesome in this game. I had them ruled out. When they went down 27 to 10 or whatever it was in in the second quarter or going into the half, I was like, well, I can probably look to start switching this off and getting on with my day. They turn around and and put on a 14 to nothing third quarter and it was and it was game on in the last and and it was must watch tv because then you know it got tight it got to within a score alabama would respond they would get a bit more breathing room and then florida would come right back at them and and Kyle Pitts would get up and make a big play and they'd get in and it was just a couple of heavyweights just going at it like it's it's the sort of fight that you want to see too it's not one of those shit ones where they're holding each other up against the cage and like really struggling to breathe these are boys trading shots yeah and like 
full credit to Alabama and, and their ability to kind of keep themselves uh, at bay because Florida were coming and coming and coming and they were just kind of like, yeah, like we'll do this too. We, we, we got this in the tank. They're, they're operating at a level where they have that confidence and that they know that they can. So I can see why Nick Saban thinks that this is truly a special team because they've got playmakers and, and it's awesome to watch. Yeah, your boy Devontae Smith, um, and he had like what eight catches for fifteen catches. Uh, SEC championship game. I was talking record. about it. I had the half. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had fifteen total and a couple of touchdowns as well. Yeah, Najee t- Harris. We've barely mentioned him, but he put up five touchdowns uh, on the ground, which is unbelievable. SEC and championship it, record. Like these yeah. are all just records, just getting yeah. torn out here. Yeah. So um, he had a massive, massive day, and he is hard to tackle. Also, especially for a team that doesn't tackle that well, <laughs> he's hard for NFL linebackers to tackle. So, um, yeah, Alabama does it again, and and off they toddle to being the number one team in the country as we go into the playoff. I don't see a world in which they lose that semifinal. Uh, after the, you've got to have an offense that can go with them. And if it is Ohio State, if it is Notre Dame, both of those offenses have looked less than stellar in recent weeks. So I just don't know if there's enough firepower. Uh, Certainly not for Notre Dame. Maybe for Ohio State, if they can get all things moving in the same direction at the same time, but we're yet to sort of see them put together that complete offensive performance this year. So let's dial it back to the preseason, uh, making predictions. I can't remember what we made, but I'm assuming it looks something like SEC Alabama, ACC Clemson, Big 12 Oklahoma, Big 10 mm. Ohio State, State, Pac-12 Oregon. Like, well, <laughs> they, they, they would have been favorites going in for all of them. So it, yeah. it, with all the madness that we've, we have seen this season, we've come out with... <laughs> The completely normal. When everything's different, it all stays the same. Yes. Uh, to be, uh, to, if, if I just pump myself up here a fraction, I picked every one of those correctly um, at the win. I don't know if I got the, sp- like, I don't think they distanced themselves enough, the favourites. I think Alabama were a two-touchdown favourite, so I would have missed um, there. And Clemson probably covered... Uh, Oklahoma didn't, and Ohio State didn't either. So whilst I picked the winners, I probably didn't go that well against the spread all right let's head to the group of five now because this episode is going to take forever apparently before we do that a quick mention from our sponsors that's it we don't have any sponsors but please make sure you do hit us up on twitter instagram and facebook at cfb down under make sure you join us say hi subscribe to the show through your podcatcher of choice leave a five-star review tell all your friends um we're gonna have a bit more uh coming up as the bowl games continue obviously we're not going to give up the season's not over whilst the pac-12 is opting out all over the place we are not so make sure you do stick around for bowl season Definitely. as well. We're, we're committed to a Wednesday uh, episode to cover off on the semi-final. So that's going to be a surefire do not miss app to get you prepped for, to just like whack in when you're at like, cr- mm. family functions over Christmas and you're not interested in that. Just chuck us in. And people will yeah, be like, what I are mean, these guys laughing at? What's, what's so hilarious? Probably don't whack in too much, but you know, we can, we can do other things to you all right let's uh let's get to the group of five cincinnati 27 tulsa 24 tulsa type the game three minutes left on the clock this is in the american 
conference championship game uh but three minutes left on the clock it just felt too long cincinnati would get into scoring position and after converting a third and long that in fact did happen they kick a field goal at the gun tulsa hang tight since he don't distance themselves and certainly didn't make themselves look any prettier as the ugly stepsister when looking at the college football playoff um but they do win the american and they stay undefeated they do, and and that's all they can like. It's a perfect season for them now, and they're not realistically in the conversation, unfortunately. And like on the back of this one, I've been a massive advocate for that. These guys, you know, I'm a, a you know deep down somewhere, some reason, a Cincy fan, <laughs> a bit of a fanboy for the Bearcats, and even I, after this one, are like, no, nah, they they shouldn't be getting a shot in yeah. in the four team comp. That's why I, I love the eight team because certainly throw them in there, give them. Give them a fighting chance, and let's see how it plays out. Uh, but they're not going to get that. Des Ritter in this one was fantastic. He had 350 yards uh, through mm. the air and on the ground, a couple of scores, and just that dynamic playmaker at quarterback that you love to see at the college level. I, I'm not sure he has a, a big Sunday future for him, but he's the one who has that wiggle about him, has that nous. When things start to break down, he, he kind of takes it on himself to do it with his legs and will make dudes miss because he's more athletically gifted than they, than, than they are. So it was one of those games for him. They were really good. It, it caps off a fantastic season and like a fantastic run that they've had in the Luke Fickle era. So they've been very good for a number of years now. Uh, and you know, there's certainly a team that if anyone like the Big 12 was looking to say, hey, actually, we want to go back to 12 teams, you'd be looking at Cincinnati, surely, with the success that they've had, the market that they've got in a, in a big city and saying, mm, can we make this work? It is a bit of a trek. We are going yeah, a little bit east. Does the Big east. 12 really fit in geographically there? They've gone West like Virginia. Big... So yeah. 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 Look, I, oh yeah, I, I just think that they've all of a sudden become a team because of the prolonged success that they've had at the group of five level that if there were opportunities to open up, they're at the top of anyone's wish list for if they were to dip into that bucket. I believe you said the same about UCF and Houston. I'm not saying that they are, they should or shouldn't be, but I, you know those teams have been mentioned in that space. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. There's a whole bunch of other issues. It's not just a matter of scooping up a team um for our australian listeners there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into conference realignment now does luke fickle stay there will be will he be the coach of the bearcats next year do you think oh, look it really depends he on, must be receiving some phone calls uh, absolutely year. and it really depends on what other high profile jobs become vacant because i think that's kind of what he's in line for now i don't think he leaves for like a a tough spot in the group of five, although a lot of high profile ones are going to be tough spots. But like, even like the, I'm thinking like the South Carolina gig, I know that's been filled now. I see that as a really difficult spot to go in and, and a challenge to take on. I think you're better off kind of aligning yourself to someone who has the resources, the recruiting, and kind of if you can get your brand working, the opportunity to succeed there. And there, there are. Yeah, where, where do you get that shot though? Because there's not that many of those schools around. Absolutely, like not. you're you're talking like the cream there, and and you'd think you know being from he's from the Midwest, I believe, so he'll want to stay with Wisconsin, with Michigan, Michigan, with Ohio State. Michigan's um, the one that jumps to mind. Like he obviously had a crack at Ohio State. He was there for a little while. Was he an uh, interim coach? Or yeah, something correct. He, he was, and wasn't super successful there. He was kind of no. when. 
when it all went. But he's done a fantastic job here. So to be honest, it, it's all speculation as to whether... Yeah. It, like, there's no job open at the moment that immediately makes me think that's where he's heading off to. But you gotta you got to make hay while the sun's shining, as they say. All right, uh, let's head to the Mountain West and the Spartans. The best Spartans in all of college football. San Jose 34 beat Boise State 20. I got this game wrong. I thought Boise State would win, and I thought San Jose State would probably want a shootout, but... The most comfortable they looked in the game was in a low-scoring defensive tussle, which this game sort of turned into. They led 19-6 to uh, deep into the third quarter. It was a bit of a snoozer, really, uh, unless you're into field goal kickers because this was the one game for the weekend where they were actually capable. Um, but they played sound defense. Hank Buckmeyer was struggling to get any time in the pocket. Cade Hall was making things incredibly uncomfortable for him. He was in the backfield regularly. And then... After Boise State had not scored a touchdown for, you know, almost three quarters of football and certainly nothing on offense, Avery Williams houses a kick return and this game just then sprung to life. The games, the teams traded touchdowns, big plays, um, but then San Jose managed to kill the clock with a four-minute 30 touchdown drive in the fourth quarter to put this game away and get their first conference championship nick starker was good for the spartans i hope they get a good bowl game like i said but i don't think they did nothing special anyway um but congratulations to sparty they get a mountain west championship um and you know are going in there against and and putting their name against teams like byus of the world and the boise states of the world who are continually successful um and you know awesome monster killers at the fbs level so well done to san jose state i'm stoked for them i mean let's kill the hype on continually successful this year has been amazing and and like it's it's crazy to see that everything that i said about the power five conferences and how it was all chalk no way in the world would have had san jose state <laughs> in the first four teams that i picked in the mountain west like that that's Undefeated. where they've come from exactly that that is what the realm that they've come from and i've done it in fantastic fashion a 34 20 victory over a well-respected boise state unit is amazing and as you said it was the defensive effort in this one they kept boise under 225 yards on the day like that's fantastic nick starkle has injected some sort of life into this and he's a dude like i you know how they throw out those bullshit questions when you're getting profiled for stuff and it's like, like an Affleck trivia question? No, or who are the three people living or dead that you would like to uh, uh, have at a dinner party? Yeah, like sort Eddie of Murphy, deal? Robin Williams, Jessica and Michael Alba. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I picked I mean, three dudes. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sure, you're my, talking like 2005, Jessica. Obviously. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, my age a bit here. Um, yeah. But Nick Starkle, if we're talking like current day college players that we're inviting, I, he's one that I want there because really? he absolutely like just I want to know the journey. Texas A and M, like yeah. he was a, he was a five star kid. Texas A and M, Arkansas, and now San Jose State. Dude's seen some shit, and I'm de- I dare say like the the there'd be some storylines behind where he's been, why he's been there. And now he's, you can see he's got the talent. Like, he went large. He threw for 453 yards in the day in this one. He's obviously a fantastic player. So 
like full credit to him and what they've been able to achieve there this year. This is an awesome result. One of those ones where you kind of need to see this at the college football level. Everything we're talking about with it's the same old teams getting it done. When you you can kind of sprinkle in a bit of this, it's really good fun. Well, we don't get the BCS Bowl Busters so much anymore. They're kind of less relevant. But you want to see a Cinderella story every now and again. And we got one this year. Exactly. And right, it, re- heading- it reinvigorates the whole fan base. Like, it's, yeah, it does. You know, when was the last time San Jose State fans were kind of into football? Yeah, I mean, this year. Exactly. <laughs> right, let's exactly. get to Conference USA. UAB 22, Marshall 13. UAB had a game plan and they stuck with it. Uh, they ran the ball a whole heap. We know they're a good kind of stretch outside zone running team, but 52 times they turned around and handed the ball off for over 200 yards. Long, methodical drives that just wore at this Marshall defense that has been so, so good throughout the year. They had scoring drives of 11 plays that went for 6 minutes, 10 seconds. 10 plays, 6 minutes, 22. 12 plays, 6 minutes, 47. Then they had an 80-yard touchdown drive and a 75-yard touchdown drive. Only two three-and-outs on the day. So a really controlled, stifling, slow and methodical, grinded-out win for UAB. It must feel like you're kind of being constricted there by a giant python. Uh, and Marshall's offense struggled in back-to-back games. Grant Wells went 8 for 23 passing. The Herd only managed 268 yards for the entire game. Um, but having said all that, they weren't actually out of it until the very end. Well done to UAB, though. They get the win in probably as as non-favorites in this one. And they've been to the last three Conference USA Championship games, and they've won two of them. This was a team that was out of football, what, four years ago? Four years ago, and before that had never won a Conference Championship. <laughs> now they just, they just punch their ticket every year. I think that's the key. Maybe Michigan should just sit out for a couple of years <laughs> and then start the program back up, and they'll be back. Yeah, that'll go well. <laughs> Give themselves the death penalty. Um, so... Go on, you Blazers. Oh, look, fantastic effort. As you mentioned, they had a game plan and they executed. I don't know what's happened in Marshall because this is not the same team that we were seeing earlier in the year. Like, statistically, they had the best defense on the year. That was just the level that they were performing at. UAB uh, ran for total 468 yards in this one, which is over 100 more than any other team was able to do on the year against them. Grant Wells, the same thing. Like, he was awesome throughout the year. He had 10 completions in the first half and did not complete one of them. You're not going to win too many championship games not completing a pass in the first half if you're not like Army or Georgia Tech. You're not passing it that many times. Exactly right. Like it's 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 a real concern as to what's happened there, and I don't know if. I mean, they were run heavy, but it seems like they they were so comfortable playing out in front of teams, and they would score on big plays. They had a quick strike ability, particularly with that run game, and all of a sudden they started playing from behind and. Things just, yeah, just didn't happen for them. And I, I don't really know why they got so stuck offensively. Yeah, um, oh, like Bill Clark has done a fantastic job at UAB. I think he needs to be credited with a lot of the success that they're having. He's one that if I'm an AD at a Power 5 team, I'm having a good hard look at. I'm going over his resume. I'm getting him in for a chat. Uh, I just, I, I don't know a lot about his backstory, but I know what they've done there is fantastic he's obviously got those that team buying in you're fucking talking a lot about bill clark dude we gotta move on i think if i'm at illinois i'm going bill clark over Bellina. that's okay there you go finally 
I'm going to bring up some Bill Clark's stats. While I'm <laughs> All right, Ball State 38, Buffalo 28. This was a shocker. Jarrett Patterson, who has run for over 1,000 yards in just five games this year, was kept to just 47 total. Um, a four-touchdown four blitz in the second quarter by Ball State gave them a 35-21 lead. And then both defenses took over kind of in the second half. They And scoring was limited to only 10 points between the two teams for the entire second stanza. Uh, a defensive score for the Cardinals helped put them out in front as well. Up until this game, there's all kind of records that were broken in this one as well. Buffalo hadn't conceded a sack. They conceded a sack fumble touchdown. They hadn't pl- had to play from behind. They hadn't played in any tight games. In fact, they were beating. They hadn't been closer than 19 points, and they just crushed teams. But that all came crashing down today as Ball State over their after their crazy win against uh, Western Michigan last week, now come and turn around and beat probably the hottest favorite in all of the games that we've talked about today. Yeah, I mean they did. You're right. Uh, also, Bill Clark, 52 years old, uh, <laughs> high school coach mainly, so no wonder I hadn't heard of him. Uh, yeah, no, look, I've, I've been completely sidelined no, here. Get, we should up. do a segment, Will's Coach of the Week. I'd like that, actually. I, I could I could pull some stuff out, but you're right. This one was an absolute shocker. Uh, Ball State managed to not run on the field earlier than they should have, and <laughs> got, got it done. I mean... What was the halftime score in this one? Something ridiculous, like 35 uh, to 21? That's 100% correct. Yeah, well done. At halftime? Yeah, I was expecting like this to go fully large. Yeah, and like they, they managed to kind of tie it down in there, but that you they were massive underdogs in this one, and Buffalo deserved all that praise going in with how successful they'd been on that running game. Jarrett Patterson, as you mentioned, freak on the year, putting up massive numbers, running at like 10 yards a clip and just scoring every three times he touches it or some sh- <laughs> something stupid like that. So for them to hold them to uh, score, what, 28 on the day is absolutely fantastic. Uh, 1996 was the last time that the Cardinals had won a title. So this is another one where, you you know, it's it's... I'm glad that the group of five are bringing the unexpected. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a bit crazy there. It's often like they're dominated by a few groups and then you get a bit more craziness the other side around. But it's great to see. I love it. Uh, Ball State. This is a real like NCAA play on our part. Like team you start out with and Ooh, then you the kind of build from star. there. The old one star right. Cardinals. They'd have some, there wouldn't be too many uniform options. I like picking teams with uniform options. They don't have many. I like going to Oregon. like going to Oklahoma State. <laughs> I never go to Penn State. You've got to be able to get that solid all-white Stormtrooper union. And if I can't get that, I ain't going there. <laughs> like all right. It. Let's get to some other games that are pretty meaningless at this point. But Texas A&M beat Tennessee. Wisconsin win Paul Bunyan's axe in overtime. Nebraska beat Rutgers... Uh, Utah were down at the half and then ended up absolutely crushing Washington State. LSU won in a shootout against Ole Miss. Mississippi State beat Missouri. Stanford over UCLA. And Arizona State beat my Beavers. They'll be back next year. Bigger, better, stronger. They will not be any of those. Well, they'll be back next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Correct. Uh, anything on those games, Will, apart from you probably lost money on them? 
yeah we'll, we'll get to that we will get to that <laughs> god this is going to be an absolute mess isn't it let's get to our championship weekend rewind <laughs> I think it's louder and louder every week. Uh, for me, Brandon Joseph's interception of Justin Fields to close out the first half for Northwestern. If you haven't seen that, it certainly fits in the mold of um, the Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed fadeaway, but plucking it from a receiver, a really, really impressive um, catch by him. And he had six picks on the season for Northwestern, so he should get a mention in um, Big Ten all conference teams yes that was definitely one to take a look at it was freak athletic play all awesome to see for mine uh i love a big hit right i love when someone can fucking deliver a, a solid hit when it's an offensive player who's able to make that hit you see linemen do it linemen chase interceptions on skinnies all the time that, you're right they do <laughs> but to have like uh, a receiver who just completely blindsides uh, a defender defenders not normally really know how to run with the ball they're not great at covering it up they don't have great field vision they don't know where things are coming from and like it's a bit harsh on a pick two because dudes literally can be coming from anywhere like it's a broken play so John Mechie in the Bama Florida SEC championship game they've just been picked off uh, great great play uh, on the Florida side has come up and just straight cleaned this bloke uh, dislodged the ball in like great football hit, like all legit, no targeting, heads down, just split him open, fucking hurt him too. Like he was down <laughs> for quite some time. Sent the ball flying. They got the ball back, which is yeah, Devonta amazing. Smith, I think, recovered it. Like, what can't that dude do? Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a great one. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and uh, look it up. All right, let's get to our bold predictions as we close this one. Out. We got some Aussies in action that I want to hit on as well. Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! It's a, big, it's a big weekend of championship football, so I'm going to quickly slide them in there. Go for it. Uh, there, there's, so we had Adam Corsak at Rutgers, obviously not in a championship game, but he had a good game, highlighted by a big 17-yard run. He saw some daylight and just called his own number and was like, "Fuck it, I'm out of here." So that was sweet. He had five punts at 43.4 as well, which is. Really good. Uh, the Pac-12 Championship had Tom Snee at Oregon, 5 at 42.8, and Ben Griffiths at USC, 3 at 48.7. 48.7 is big numbers. Ben Griffiths all year. If he's coming back again next year, look out. I think he's uh, got to be a like a Ray Guy watch list guy because his numbers have been consistently impressive this year. Uh, we have Blake Hayes at Illinois, 9 at 44. He had an interesting punt. It was so good too, wasn't it? It was just like, I'm, I'm out of here. It was, it was proper Aussie rules. Actually, kinda. no, I'm not. I'm just going to kick it. Exactly right. And that's like a good call. But it was one of those ones where it was, yeah, he was, was channeling that AFL background. Uh, Lucky Wilson at Tulsa had a big day in their matchup, uh, going head to head with James Smith at Cincinnati. So he went five at 46 and James Smith three at 44.7. So well represented in the championship weekend. Good job by you. Uh, okay, bold prediction time. Pepper needs new shorts. Yeah, I dropped the ball. I said we would be going air raid this week and we wouldn't have a running back over 100 <laughs> yards. Trey Sermon just <laughs> destroyed that for me. Early on, I got up for the for the three thirty slate, and he just completely nuked that one, so I missed horribly. 
Yeah, he kind of did that. Which just shouldn't have. It's the number six goddamn run defense in the country. Like I didn't <laughs> did it think three, it would come. I didn't think it would come at Ohio State. Three times over. Like, that's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's his Good. season rush totals in the one game. Because he heard. He, he was, he's tuned in. I know he's a big oh, fan of the show. He was like, fuck obviously. you, Aaron. That's yeah. good. Uh, mine was obviously a lot closer than yours. Uh, didn't hit, but I was Devonta Smith to have 200 yards in the air, three touchdowns, and to win the Heisman. Uh, he only had the two touchdowns and 180 odd yards, so <laughs> he's gone bloody close to that, uh, and could still win the Heisman. Like he's certainly in the conversation. Yeah, they, oh, they, abs- they were pumping up just... his numbers next to Desmond Howard, who was the last wide receiver to win the award. And yards-wise, he's gone larger. Same amount of punt return scores, or sorry, scrimmage yards, he's gone uh, bigger. He's just got three less touchdowns, I think, on the year. So, like, they're comparable. He, he yeah, had... it's it's. I think he should. I think he is the most valuable player on that team. But quarterbacks are what they are, and it just makes it so hard these days, unless you've got a down year, which we haven't had, <laughs> because there's three really, really good ones. Mm. All right, let's get to On The Punt. So I'll just play this one, get this out of the way. Am I right? It's a bit presumptuous, but yeah, it is correct. (laughs) (laughs) So this this had a chance to win 54 units. Uh, Yeah, uh, no, it was like 540 units, this one. 540 units? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would have won like millions. We were swinging for the fences here. I, I liked it. It did not play out for me, unfortunately. Uh, so let's quickly fly through it because I did have 12 picks. I essentially picked all the games that uh, weren't in the championship that we didn't really cover all that well. Uh, I got six of them right. I got four of them wrong and two of them did not play. So end of the day, by virtue of some of them not actually collecting all that much money, I've, I've come down... Uh, unit and a half around that that margin so had Rutgers Nebraska that was actually quite close that would have been a, a nice collect for me but was not so that hurt Wake Forest <laughs> Florida State uh, was a was a push so I got my money back woohoo uh, I did get <laughs> A&M over Tennessee Utah over Washington State uh, as favorites that was good I picked Army to beat Air Force uh, as underdogs happy there also LSU to beat Mississippi had Head to head, which was good. Yeah, you got that one, but I did say Missouri would beat Mississippi State, and they fell well short in that. Unfortunately, yeah, they got I had Wisconsin to beat Minnesota, which managed to scrape by um, at not great odds. Penn State to beat Illinois, which was awesome. The one that really hurt, uh, I had UCLA over Stanford, double overtime, and uh, couldn't get it done, so that sucked. Maryland, Michigan State was a no show, so I got me money there. And then I backed in your boys, Oregon State plus seven and a half. I think they went down by ten in the end. So yeah, maybe more than that. I think they went down quite big. Yeah, okay. But, uh, but in the end, really I you know you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Oh, I keep hearing it. You do. Uh, they went and down by thirteen. Yeah. Okay. One score. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good. But uh, look, it's we, we've got another shot at this. There's another week ahead, so I'm keeping my head up there. We have so you're now... Gonna, you're going to have to bet on every bowl game, aren't you? We have now eclipsed 30 units in the negative, which is a new level for me, which is really exciting. <laughs> it's all, you're breaking new records every week, mate. Kind of so. like SEC Championship over here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of our championship recap. It has been a fun one. I enjoyed this. Thank you, William. 
Um, neither of us are super hungover, and I think that makes a difference. Yeah, so, I think well, that's the key. Let's get the hangovers out earlier in the week so that by yeah. the time we're rolling on here, we're traveling well. Yep. Now, we will be back, of course, on Wednesday to do a whole bunch of stuff around bowl games. We will try and pick them all straight up. I like it. We'll definitely be talking about the college football playoff because that will have been announced by then as well. So there'll be a whole bunch to get to. Uh, the regular season has finished. Our season has not. Um, so we will keep on trucking to the finish line, just grinding it out. That's just what we do. We just grind. All right. On behalf of that guy over there and myself, thank you for joining us. My name's Aaron. That is Will. And we will see you next time. Next time.